0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, this is Brett Amron. Welcome to The Practice Podcast. And I'm Jeff Bast. Hello, Brett. Today, we are welcoming a very special guest, Russell Landy. Russell is a partner at the Miami law firm of Damien and Valori LLP. Russell focuses his practice on commercial litigation with an emphasis on employment litigation. He's an A V-rated lawyer from Martindale Hubble. He received his law degree from University of Miami, or I think he went to undergrad and law school at University of Miami. He also, at UM, he was in a double major in marketing and finance while serving as both the athletic and the academic captain of the men's track and field team. So he's, not only is he smart, but he's fast. So welcome, Russell. Welcome, Russell. Thanks for having me. I think that's the
1: first time I've ever been introduced as a very special anything, Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I
2: already like it here. <laughs> well, I have to, before we get into yeah, well. really the main reason why you're here, I need to ask, what was your event that you specialized in on the track? So
1: I was a decathlete. Which wow, I, like to nice.
2: say I was uh, mediocre
1: at a lot of things. I was mm-hmm. started out as a long jumper and a pole vaulter and then just sort of collected extraneous events until I got to 10.
2: Wow. <laughs> I like that. That is very impressive. I, I got the opportunity for really poor reasons sitting in the doctor's office over the weekend watching some stupid show on Netflix about it's almost like an American Ninja Warrior. And they had some guy on who was a former decathlete who actually won the event because he had so many different disciplines that he was good at. So there you go, man. You have a future. If, if the law thing doesn't work, maybe you, know, you can go into like an American Ninja Warrior type thing. Yeah. Now, now I'm just sort of
1: old and broken. But <laughs> when I go out and try to do something, I still think that I can.
2: So that's why I don't yeah. go pole vault anymore because I don't want to die. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So other than talking about wonderful, your, your exploits as a decathlete, what you're really here about today is to talk about your specialty in employment law and how that has weaved its way into the COVID world and all the things that not only lawyers like yourself or other lawyers like us owning, owning a law firm, or running a law firm deal with, but also business owners today. And I'm sure you've seen a tremendous uptick in either inquiries by clients or even perhaps some litigation based on the fact that you know the pandemic and everything that's gone on yeah just sort of like how it's stressed or accelerated changes or problems
1: in pretty much every aspect of our lives the employment area is is obviously no different people are moving people are are asking questions of their employer people are being asked to do things they may or may not be comfortable with or asking people to do things that they may or may not be comfortable with or are being asked by outside entities to do stuff that they either
0: like or don't like, which is causing a lot of questions. Yeah, these are challenging times. And I think part of the struggle is that everything's moving so rapidly. The advice you give one day has to be different the next day, right? It
1: really is. And I, I often am telling clients, this is changing week to week or day-to-day sometimes even. And as lawyers, you know, we always want to sort of make sure that the answer is right when we're giving a client an answer and refresh research where necessary. But almost more than any other time or area in my practice, now you really have to sort of say, I think this is the answer, but I need to go make sure nothing has changed in the past couple of days because mask mandates change, vaccine mandates change, whether you can request someone to do something, how they get paid for it, those are all things that are coming out every day. We're recording this, I guess now on the thirteenth, very recently, they've announced this vaccine mandate for people over our employers over a hundred employees. But the rule hasn't come out yet. So people are calling and saying, "Do we have to do this yet? Do we not have to do this? and asking all the questions that go with it and
2: can't quite give them the full answer yet. I mean, this is something that none of us have dealt with, obviously in our lifetime, has never really been dealt with under modern code modern law how do you start with the advice that you get like where do you go to for your base to give advice on this pandemic and and what people should do yeah it's a good question so there's this framework of employment
1: law that's been obviously built up for many years and you've got the federal statutes you've got state and local laws or ordinances and for the most part those are giving us a framework on how to advise clients on these things but especially in 2020 and and even now you have to sort of tell and I've been telling my clients look we're applying 2019 law to 2020 2021 problems and not everything has percolated up to appellate courts or sometimes there's you're answering an issue while there's a lawsuit challenging that law or regulation going on so you kind of have to be careful, but you start by looking at the framework of the employment law or whatever law it is that's been built up for decades, and then keeping up with the guidance and changes that are being issued again, sort of weekly by different government agencies or or rulings from courts as to how to apply it to the very particular circumstances that your client's asking
0: about. Yeah. And employment law is very much a, a regional or even though much of it might be a federal practice, it's still a regional practice, which is guided by state, local, sometimes municipal law,
1: right? Exactly. So, for example, if, if someone is asking me a question and they're, let's say they only have employees in Florida, it's kind of easy for the moment. Not easy, but there's federal law, which is relatively said. And then Florida has not issued a lot of COVID-specific employment related Laws. But if we were in California or New York or some other states, or if you're an employer that has people working in various different states, you have to look sometimes even at all 50 states to see if there's an issue, whether it be there were leave laws that were instituted pretty early on, and then New York expanded their leave laws. So you've got to look at each spot. And then occasionally you've got a municipality that will put out some sort of law, like Miami Beach or Dade County or City of Miami. So there's really a lot of rabbit holes that go down sometimes for what seems like a simple question.
2: Yeah. And so, in that vein, I mean, we have, you know, an administration, right, issuing mandates or issuing new rules and guidelines at a federal level that may conflict with, let's say, Florida, for example, and the administration here, which may then conflict with Miami Dade County or Miami Beach. I mean, how, how does that, how do you sort of marry all of that together uh, in, in trying to formulate an opinion or some advice for, for a particular client? Carefully. <laughs> <laughs> right. you, got, you have
1: to sort of advise um, here are the options or here are the requirements as they are now. And here's your options. How do you want to handle it? Here's the risk. Here's the, where there may be a problem. How do you want to measure it? Almost like, when you're advising a client on anything, on a proposal for settlement in litigation, right? It's like, well, here's what could happen if you accept it. Here's what could happen if you reject it. But often it's their choice. You can make a recommendation, but they're going to choose based upon the advice you give them.
0: Yeah. Would you say, is there a guiding principle that you can apply generally to employment law in difficult times like this where like you said, the law is changing on a daily basis. Brett said it might be different from federal to state to local. But if an employer is sort of acting in what they perceive to be the best interests of the overall employees, are there guiding principles like that that can generally be a safe way to, for employers to act? Yeah, there's a few different ways to look at it. Like I, I
1: often tell clients, especially if they're getting into sort of a thorny problem, say, look, your number one job is to run a successful popsicle stand or school or whatever it is that you're running. I can't give you business advice because you don't want business advice from me. I'm just a lawyer. But keeping your employees happy or doing the thing that you think is going to be the best for the company and not necessarily measuring it with litigation risk is, I think, a good way to look at things a lot. That happens a lot where I do a fair amount of what I call employment counseling, which is sort of day-to-day questions where there may be an issue with an employee or a group of employees and people are deciding what to do with them. And, and I try to give them that type of advice where do what's best? You can try to narrow the risk and try to put you in the best position of if someone sues you or brings a EEOC claim or whatever it is. But we can never stop that as lawyers, right? Anyone can walk over to the courthouse and file lawsuits. Just what happens when you get there. So try to make that decision. And then from a practical perspective, while you may want to take a, as an employer, an aggressive stance or careful stance one way or another, if you err on the side of providing that benefit or accommodating something to an employee, it's almost always going to be a more efficient resolution to anything rather than fighting about it. If someone claims, I'm entitled to $1,000 of overtime pay, and, and you know that person, Didn't work that overtime, or or whatever it is, you know, something like that. You want to fight about it? That's great for me. It's how I buy my kids nice stuff. But is it from a business perspective? Is it worth? Is it worth fighting over?
2: Yeah. A lot of what we've been talking about is what employers have to do or can do. But a lot of the the issues I think I know we've dealt with, and I know spoken to other business owners as well, dealt with is what can you ask? What can you talk about with your employees? today in this environment. I know there's HIPAA and there's all sorts of rules and things like that that you can't talk about, but you're starting to hear things that maybe there's, you know, you can ask certain questions, for example, and to sort of knock the 800-pound grill out of the room, it's, are you vaccinated? Show us proof of vaccine, wear masks in the office, things like that. You know, I think you can implement or ask questions, right? I mean, what's the has that changed or is that in line with current law?
1: No, it's largely unchanged from sort of where we were pre 2020. It just comes with baggage, right? You can ask questions Are you vaccinated? Yes, you can ask for proof of vac- vaccination because mm-hmm. vaccination status is not a protected class under any law, at least that I'm aware of so far. Something could have happened this morning that I don't know. About. <laughs> right. um, but asking them, That question is not a problem, but what you do with that information could be, right? That's confidential information. You want to do what you would do with other sensitive medical or financial information that you're collecting on an employee. Keep it in a separate spot and all the bells and whistles of what HR teams and employers try to do to keep that stuff confidential. The problem is also you sort of want to ask the least amount of questions possible to get the information that you need because then again, when you have that new information, you want to be careful that it's not used improperly. For example, if you start asking a lot of questions of your employees, and then later down the road, they feel like you've taken some action that's inappropriate, the question that you ask and the information that you gain that may be more than is absolutely necessary could be viewed by somebody as either evidence of of some sort of discrimination or something like that. So it's all about sort of being careful what you ask, and then being careful with the information once you get it.
2: I think it's interesting that the vaccination status is not that. To think about it that way, I hadn't thought about it. Is not a protected class, right? Whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated is not a protected class. At least, like you said, currently we have haven't checked the boards yet. Right. But you have to Definitely. be
1: careful, also, right? Because all the vaccine laws also say there's a, accommodations sometimes required if for medical right. reasons or for religious reasons, or there could be others. So those are, so it's, you know, just the status, yes or no, why, why not? Things like that. That's when you start getting into minefields.
2: But if to sort of go down that a little bit, not to get too far into the minefield, but if, you know, someone comes to you and says, "Uh, I have a medical exemption, you know, Mm -hmm. can you ask for proof of that? And then how far down the line can you go? right? Or does it stop at here's the doctor's note and that's it?
1: Yeah, that's sort of the history of laws sort of like FMLA or ADA, things like that. You can engage in an interactive process with the employee to make sure that you're comfortable and that you're providing an accommodation that is appropriate and that you can provide. So you can still do all of those things. You just have to sort of, again, sort of apply them in the law that we've built up to this point, for the most right. part, that's basically what the EEOC has said. We're going to f- look at things through the framework of those statutes.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess you're you're not seeing litigation yet necessarily, but are you uh, seeing any topics emerge as a product of or a byproduct of this issues that you're being consulted on without revealing privileged information? Of course. <laughs> yeah,
1: everything that comes with sort of uncertainty, because mm-hmm. I think there's still a fair amount of uncertainty. So how to handle certain situations with employees or employers and there is a fair amount of movement of employees and companies and changes in policies that caused people to decide maybe i don't want to work at this place anymore or i don't want to have this person working at my place anymore especially in sort of mid to late 2020 so everything that comes with, I guess there's a fancy term of employee mobility or competition, things like that. That's all seems to be pretty hot right now in terms of people asking what happens if I leave or
0: what happens if this employee leaves, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think in regular times, Brett and I, as lawyers and as business owners, get questions from business other business owners pretty frequently about Non-compete provisions are they enforceable? Should I enforce them? you know litigating them? we've litigated them before as well, and I'm, I'm sure you have uh, thoughts on that are you are you seeing more of that topic coming up? Yeah, there's a lot of non-compete
1: consultation and litigation that seems to have come out of all of this movement or concerns about movement. People I'm sure you get this question from your clients. People come and they say, "Well, that non-compete's not enforceable." And I sort of get that question equally. Not even that non-specific non-compete, but non-competes in general are not enforceable. And I get that question equally from employers and employees. And at least in Florida, they're very much enforceable. Probably more than any other state in the country. People deciding whether to move or not move has been affected by those decisions. And for example, I've heard of cases where. People are not paid appropriately, or the companies just couldn't afford to pay them because of COVID-related situations. And the person's like, look, I need to go feed my family, or I need to make a living, and moves. And then you've got the non-compete issue that either has to get worked out or litigated, depending on the situation. And there's been a fair amount of that, obviously, in the last year or so
2: is it preemptive by the employee to try to resolve it or are the employer seeking to enforce in that situation you just sort of went through the employer seeking to enforce the non competes it's kind of both i do a lot of employment litigation but i do a lot of
1: complex commercial litigation as well and and people often say well you do do you do defense or plaintiff and i say well it depends on who got to the courthouse first cuz it's not really a traditional plaintiff's defense sort of thing and that's kind of how it works in the non-compete world as well. I mean, there's a lot of times where you get an employer who is proactive and is either sending demand letters to the now former employee or the the new employer of that employee or filing injunctions or lawsuits for alleged or asserted violation of a non-compete. But sometimes the employees take the first step and will file a lawsuit or, or say, I don't think this is enforceable. Don't try to enforce it on me. I've certainly seen in the last year where employees are taking the the first step, filing a lawsuit. You can get a declaratory relief action. You can do a whole bunch of different stuff to try
0: to determine if it's enforceable or not in your particular <laughs> circumstance. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, there's there's so many dynamics at play with non-competes. You know, we've encountered for some clients and colleagues the importance of. Enforcing them because if you just have them and you don't enforce them, one, the existing employees tend to notice that. And so when they leave, they know, oh, you didn't enforce it. And then obviously there's the risk of selectively enforcing them, you know, enforcing it against some and not others. It's a challenging dynamic, I'm sure, for
1: you. Yeah, it is. And sometimes there's a lot of emotion involved on both sides in those sort of situations. I mean, if it's sort of a a line level employee that is just, Trying to make a move, sometimes people don't necessarily want to enforce it, even though they could be advised, hey, someone else in the future could say, look, you didn't enforce it as to that employee. But sometimes it's the number one employee who's moving across the street and taking all the employees with, the either employees or customers with them. And that's a
2: big problem for employers. Another issue that might be popping up as well, and maybe not, maybe you can throw it back at me and say, no, no issue. But employees now who are permitted to work remotely, let's say the main office is in New York and they're permitted to work remotely. And so they move to Florida and they don't leave their employer. They continue to work. They move to Florida and they work out of their house or they work out of a Regis or, you know, one of those spaces. I mean, what laws do you, I mean, does Florida law apply at that point or is it still New York because they have a home office? How does that work? I'm not looking for a formal opinion, obviously, just looking for Some thoughts, because I do think that's got to be an issue with all of the employees now being told, yeah, you can work remotely from anywhere.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of issues that are coming up with people working anywhere. I mean, even not on the legal side, just on employee morale and continuity and productivity Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But what law applies is an issue, especially because different states enforce non-competes in much different ways. There are some states where it's a prohibition. Obviously, here it's very enforceable. You'd have to look at sort of the specific factors of that case or in that sort of situation, of course. But that's a big problem in terms of predicting for your client or trying to advise your client as to how it would be enforced or not enforced, or to what extent, right? Because judges in Florida, at least, always have the opportunity to blue pencil it to sort of say, "Well, it's not 50 miles for the non-compete." It's 25 miles, or I think you can call on these customers, but not other customers. So it makes it difficult to sort of advise sometimes on things like that.
2: But I would think that not even on just on any issue, right? Not just non competes, right? If you have now suddenly employees scattered about, that's got to, to me, perhaps going to be a rabbit hole for employers and frankly, employees and and employment lawyers like yourself that are going to have to navigate Really, it's uncharted. No, I mean, with all these employees now being kind of just strewn about without sort of formal offices being located where they are.
1: It's a huge issue of sort of people said, "Okay, everybody can work from home. Great. But no one ever sort of thought about maybe some people did. But a lot of people didn't think about the little things that you don't think about when someone works from home. Right. So for wage and hour cases where there's significantly more here than almost anywhere else in the country in South Florida people are either exempt or non-exempt from the overtime requirements. And those exemption tests include things like supervise employees or maintain records, various different things. If you had someone who was working from the office and supervising two or more employees and was exempt, assuming they met the other elements of the test and now they're at home and they're not supervising anybody anymore. Now you got to pay them overtime possibly and track their hours and things like that. Or some people went to a reduced salary for one reason or another, whether it was cash flow issues or whether it was different duties because now people are working from home. If they fell below the dollar threshold of those tests, now you've got issues with overtime requirements and record keeping, things like that. So just on that one thing alone, there's 50 different uncharted things that haven't percolated through the core system. Or there's arguments that you have minimum wage issues if someone is buying their own equipment right to work from home, what's provided by the employer, what's not provided by the employer. These are all things that people had to consider on a really short time span in other challenging circumstances.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that this might be, and this could be a plug for you, Russell, but this is probably a good time for most employers to dust off their employment manuals and maybe their employment contracts, if they have contracts with their employees, to, a lot of them may need some updating to deal with a lot of these remote, you know, working remotely and just changing times. There's got to be considerations that just weren't considerations before at the time that you know, a lot of us wrote our employment manuals.
1: And having a good, well-thought-out remote work policy if someone is working remotely or if they're a hybrid worker how does that look? How does that work? When are they required to come to the office? When are they suggested to come to the office? Applying that in a way that doesn't run afoul of discrimination laws or things like that. You know, it might seem like it's non discriminatory, but if you sort of squint and turn your head to the side, you could realize how you're discriminating against people of a certain protected class. So making sure that all of those things are tight. Is important to sort of, again, stave
2: off issues in the future. And unfortunately, you know, because things are changing so quickly and we've had, it's been about a year and a half now, obviously things went super quick at the beginning when everyone went remote and now they've had some time, but you know, policies are changing, laws are changing, and frankly, circumstances are changing as we've talked about. It seems to me like that, you Russell, are going to be super busy, and people who do the practice in the area you practice in, because all these issues, they're going to have to go back and figure out how to deal with what they did, and then figure out how to fix whatever they did in sort of a rush basis to make sure going forward that they do it in a more thoughtful manner. Right? I mean, there's going to be all of that. It's going to
1: have to be dealt with. Absolutely, and you guys do litigation. Sometimes litigations sort are of trails behind the cause for a couple years, right? Whatever the issue was happened in year one, but really the, the litigation that comes from it isn't for a couple more years. And I think we're going to see a lot of that and well-meaning changes that were made may cause a problem or not, or simply changes were made. Okay, COVID's over. Hopefully sometime, you know, sooner rather than later or everybody back to the office or things are going to change from a policy that was implemented people became accustomed to it and liked it, maybe working from home or whatever it is. And now, let's say in 2023, your firm or whoever it is decides, okay, well, we want to sort of go back to the way it was where everybody's in the office at all times. You're going to have people that aren't going to be happy about that. And when you have unhappy employers or unhappy employees, there's just more propensity for dispute.
0: Yeah, the part of that that I'm unhappy about was that you, in your example, you used 2023, which is a year and three months from now. Still, so uh, <laughs> I would have I would have felt better if you said 2022. But yeah, these are challenging times, and I think you said employee mobility is you know exacerbating the problem. But I think it's mobility in general, you know, for employees and employers, we we just have to stay nimble, right, at this time and flexible.
1: Yeah, I think I think that was stuff that was gonna happen anyway, right? But why we didn't have Zoom motion calendar before this was sort of just because people were comfortable with the way it was. And I know certain judges have said, I'm not having a motion calendar ever again. Like we'll be back to in court as soon as we can, but why are we gonna have a hundred lawyers sitting in the hallway for three hours? So a lot of these remote work and employee mobility issues were sort of percolating under the surface and just exploded right based on the catalyst of, of what happened.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think this is an ever-changing landscape and I, we haven't seen sort of everything kind of shake out yet, like you said. And there's going to be a lot of it either through new mandates from companies, maybe the EEOC is gonna is going to come out with more formal policies as as things sort of percolate and continue to to sort of frame themselves based on circumstances based on different laws that may be issued as well or even guidelines. So I think man you know unfortunately for employer employers uh, and even employees we're all just sort of in this ever changing landscape and we're just got to do the best we can I think for the time period and and consult with experts like you Russell to kind of help guide us through this process because it's going to be ongoing, like you said, for for a while in terms of litigation shakeout. But we're not done with this yet, and so we're all trying to figure out, navigate the landscape as it as it changes.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And the courts haven't weighed in on everything, also, which is another change in the analysis, and then what changes based upon that. So the ripples will, I think, go on for quite a while. And look, virtually everyone is either
0: an employee or an employer, so kind of touches everybody agreed for sure for sure well uh russell that was fascinating and informative and uh if any of our listeners want to reach out to you they can connect with russell on linkedin or on his uh, website or by email traditional means we'll have his information in the show notes if you have any questions for russell or for us by all means let us know and if you want to hear a new topic let us know that too and please subscribe and give us your feedback on Apple or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast.
2: Russell, thanks so much for being here today. We appreciate your time and uh, good luck. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: For more information on this show and other resources, visit fastamron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at fastamron.